The most defining feature of good cosmetic surgery is that it's not obvious. If someone says, hey, that's a great hair transplant, it's not a great hair transplant. And nothing ruins a hair transplant faster than a bad hairline. So understanding proper hairline design is arguably the most important skill for a hair surgeon to master. To help me delve into this important topic, I'm going to another one of the top hair surgeons in the world, Dr. Ron Shapiro. Hi, I'm Dr. Robert Haber, hair loss expert and hair transplant surgeon from Cleveland, Ohio. Join me and the Hair Transplant Roadshow as I travel the globe seeking answers to important surgical and non-surgical hair loss questions from the true experts in the field. Today, the Hair Transplant Roadshow doesn't travel too far from its home base in Cleveland, Ohio. We're heading to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where my guest is Dr. Ron Shapiro. Please support this program by selecting like, subscribe, and requesting notifications when our next episode is available. And feel free to post comments and topic suggestions as well. I suspect Ron has operated in more countries than any other surgeon in the world, as he has been invited to demonstrate his surgical skills at meeting after meeting for most of the past 30 plus years. More surgeons owe their technique and skill set to Ron than to any other surgeon as he is generously given of his time and advice, and he is a master of all hair restoration techniques. And when he's not operating at a workshop somewhere, his patients fly literally across the world to his office. Ron is a fellow member of the ISHRS, is certified by the American Board of Hair Restoration Surgery. He served on the Board of Governors of the ISHRS. He's been awarded the Golden Follicle Award for his clinical accomplishments. He's an editor of the most respected hair transplant textbook and has written countless chapters and presented papers all over the world. Ron is the expert's expert. And so it is a particular honor to have him as a guest on the program. Although Ron can speak on any topic in this field, he's particularly well known for his approach to hairline design. And that is the topic of discussion today. Hi, Ron. Hi, Bob. What a great introduction. Thanks so much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Every, every word, you know, every word is true. I, I could, I could talk half an hour just about your credentials, but then we wouldn't have time to talk about anything else. Ron, first, tell us a little about your practice in Minneapolis. Well, I've been here, like you said, about thirty years. Um, it's, uh, I've, I've, uh, I do one case a day. It's. Uh, I actually started traveling like a lot of doctors. So, you know, back in the day, I started to travel to different clinics. But I ended up here, and um, it, we do FUE and we do strip now. We try to keep up with the modern techniques. Um, we get a lot of referrals um, from other places. A lot of repair. Um, it's a it's a great practice. I mean, I, I love it. I have a another doctor working with me, Dr. Josephitis. My brother's worked with me over the years. I've had other lucky enough to have great doctors work with me in the olden days. There, there are a lot of doctors that have had other doctors work with them, but there's almost nobody that has had almost every single person you've ever worked with is a big name in the field, and that's unprecedented. I think it speaks a lot to either how you attract people, how you train people, whatever. It's a it's an extraordinary office. I've of course been there myself. So about hairlines, it, it seems that. Proper hairline design has been a challenge for our field forever. Back in the 90s, we dealt with straight, pluggy hairlines. We eliminated the plugs, but still hairlines often did not look natural. And now we deal with black market hairlines. I think it's safe to say if you don't get the hairline right, nothing else matters. And yet so often, 
the hairline is wrong. Ron, how would you summarize the evolution of the hairline in hair restoration surgery? Well, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I When I first started, I, it was very obvious that there's two two things that were important to patients. For, if you want a happy patient, you could really get rid of everything else and say two things. They want to look natural more than anything. If you don't do it natural, if they don't look natural, they have to, they, they're going to be unhappy. And to be natural, of course, not everything, but a large part of that's the hairline. The other thing is they want to have the density and coverage they want, and that's a separate issue. Um, actually, nowadays, it's maybe even a more difficult issue. But um, so, so naturalness is, is, was critical. And in the beginning, when you had big plugs, you know, people said, oh, people did bad work, but really they didn't have any choice. When you have big plugs, you can't create a natural hairline. You can't distribute hair. You know, all you can do is do big plugs. And to get rid of the plug you look, you have to fill it in so you get all this density up front. It looks terrible. What happened was, is slowly what happened was a few people began to realize that this didn't work, and they started to make the graphs smaller and smaller. I mean, we went to mini graphs and, and uh, quarter graphs, and then finally a few people figured out maybe we can do these, what they called micrographs. And they, uh, this was right when I was coming in. A few people were taking a few one hair graphs and putting them in front of the uh, bigger graphs, and that actually looked better. That's sort of when I came in. It was Okay, but it wasn't great. Um, and then the evolution really became that more and more of these smaller graphs started being used and less and less of the bigger graphs. That zone of, of, the, of the one hair graphs became larger, and, and it was a big improvement, but it wasn't enough. I sort of figured out that there's two things that you have to do with hairlines. It wasn't just putting singles. You had to be able to um, know where to put them, what the border, what the border should be, and how to mimic natural hairlines, and so, you know, try to look at what they look like. You realize you had to not just make a hairline look natural now, but you had to do it in a way that planned for the future. So it became complicated. You had to not only know where to put it and how to mimic it, but also factor in how much hair they would lose in the future and how much hair donor they hair they had to do it. So all these things played in together. Ten people can see the same thing and one person recognizes something that the others don't. So that's why you took you took the hairline to heart and you have for you your entire career. It, it seems like it should be simple, but it's not. You know, and hair transplantation is, is art and science and you'd think that surgeons attracted to the field would have an innate artistic ability and yet that's clearly not always the case. I mean, we still struggle to teach beginner surgeons how to create an aesthetic hairline after all these decades. Why is it so hard to teach the hairline? It's deceptive. It's deceptive. It is. It seems simple. I mean, just just place one hair. It should look natural. But it's not. There's a lot of factors that you have to know how to do. You have to have a basic rules to follow that keep you out of trouble, and that you have to that 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 most that looks natural to most people. One problem is that patients always want a hairline that's um, they want, but it's not good. And even plastic surgeons will come in. I, I see them teaching. Yeah, the rule of thirds. You know, I, when I see this, I cringe. The rule of thirds for perfect beauty is third here here so the hairline should be here at the first wrinkle because that's what perfect beauty is and so you know a lot of doctors think this the truth is that's true that's perfect beauty and if you had an unlimited donor maybe you could do that but the problem is you don't have you're working with a limited supply so the hairline that you can create 
is really very different depending on so many multiple factors. Right. So it's not just about creating the hairline. It's also about where to put it. I'll, I'm going to ask a question in a moment because that's what I get. We're seeing a lot of that problem in the black market uh, because of, of improper hairline design. Because, like I always say, just because yeah. you can do something doesn't mean you should do it because you can get into a lot of trouble down the line. And I, I want to bring up right. something else. So when we talk about hairline design, we're generally not really talking about just the first centimeter or so that constitutes the actual hairline. We're generally talking about the entire right. frontal recipient zone, since one cannot be designed without the other. Now, when a patient has very extensive hair loss, when the hair in the sides has dropped low, we face a particular challenge. If we place the front of the hairline correctly and then connect that with the side down here, it doesn't look right. So rather, we need to elevate the sides first and then connect them to the hairline, and we call these parietal humps. And surgeons all over the mm -hmm. world know this technique. What many do not know is that they should be called Shapiro humps. Since, Ron, you were the first surgeon in the world to properly identify the problem and arrive at the elegant solution. Ron, what happens if parietal yes, humps are not, are not used? Well, obviously, um, if the parietal humps are not used, people tend to connect, make the connection too low, and it looks like a ring around the hairline. It's... It, it's uh, it's, it doesn't look right. The, the, the thing about that, this is the way I visualized it, is I started looking at people going bald and seeing what happened. People lose the hair here. They, they get recession. What are they left with? They're left with a, they're left with a, you know, a frontal, a, a, like, like Beaner's uh, frontal forelock. They're left with this frontal tuft. You see people like that. So, so if, when you start observing people, and then you see people, they lose the crown. What, they're left with a bridge across the top, and that bridge is the mid part, and it's connected to these lateral humps. So this is the way people lose their hair. They lose the crown. They lose this. But a natural look, I call it the Bruce Willis look, the Sting look, Phil Collins look. Who's that guy that played um, James Bond? You know, they all have Jude Law. It's not maybe a young hairline, but it's natural. It's a nat. This is one of the first things that came out. It's a natural look that exists in nature. And what it showed me was that the central density is always greater than the lateral density. The central density is always greater because that's what's left, and then you lose it here and there. And so it made sense that when you put hair back, you follow that same thing in reverse. So this part here always has to be greater than that. So so what, what happens is, is when people aren't going to have enough hair, they're going to lose – when people go from a 6 to a 7 – the the nat, you're not sure. I mean, you you know you can pretty much sure recreate the lateral humps, recreate the bridge, and do that. They have enough. That's going to look natural. And then if they have enough hair, you can start to then go further forward and go down to. It really depends on the donor and their age. That sort of conceptualization, and this is all it is—a conceptualization—helps you plan somebody based on their age. And so you always imagine those lateral humps because that's the safest. You know that that's the if you go if you if you plan on connecting up to the lateral humps, you can't go wrong. And then depend, if they have enough hair, you can get more aggressive. So it part it's it's figuring this out. How do you how do you how do you how do you do that? So that that was sort of my concern. And I think something you said at the very beginning is the crux. Is you paid attention, you watched, you you observed what happens in nature, and I'm struck by. Again, people who are 
cosmetic surgeons who don't always look at nat, you know the natural hairline. There's all sorts of different things. And when I I'm a dermatologist, when I'm doing a skin exam, I'm someone I'm looking at their hairline because I want to see all the different variants of the hairline. If you see it going in one direction, it makes it easier to make it aesthetic going in the other direction. But unfortunately, not everybody not everybody uh, you know pays attention adequately. Well, so I think is that people always knew that the hairline should be soft, should be irregular. But they didn't pay attention to what that really meant, you know. And then, and so I think the visualization of it, or they've paid attention, but the visual and the conceptualization, I think I just put into words what other people were seeing and made it easier for them to, oh, yeah, I see that. And then, then they could do it. I think that's sort of the, the thing, you know, like, you know, how do you make the hairline irregular? Well, it's really a variable in density, and I created my way. But other people did it their way. It was just creating the same thing but realizing different ways of visualizing it. So once you, when I do teach my hairline, I do say this is not the only way to do it, but this is the principle, and then you try to do the same thing. Do you think after 30 years of, of teaching this, it would, have, it would have been picked up, you know, it would be just natural, but the problem today I was going to get to is, is the black market. It's worse. Because the newest problem with hairline designs yes. is the black market, and by black market, of course, it means centers that delegate the critical surgical steps to unlicensed individuals, and currently the majority of the black market right. still exists in Turkey, but it most certainly exists in many other countries, including the United States and definitely right here in Ohio. And what we see now are a lot of what you just mentioned before, hairlines that try to recreate the original hairline that the patient had when he was a young man. And there, the Facebook groups that I watch and the Reddit groups that I watch, they are so thrilled. That's what the patients want. But what do you think of this trend? Well, it's, it's amazing because, you know, we had bad hairlines. There's a, there's a golden age of hairlines about before FUE came along, before this black market came along, where people were really creating good hairlines. They were taking into consideration the future and all that. And to do that, you had to fight the urge. Patients want, they think because of actors and because of young people, they think that's what it is and what's going to look good. You, they have to be taught why that won't be good. So... So patient so I think there was a fa phase where doctors knew that and they were creating good hairlines. With the black market, you know, where it's really just about money, you know, doctors don't know. They they don't know. They're just getting into it. They have no idea what's going to happen in the future. I don't know right. if they even care. They don't, they don't care. They don't and they're care. creating the hairlines. Okay. So they're creating what the patients want. They all ask for something that shouldn't be done. And because the damage doesn't show, I mean, sometimes it looks terrible right away because it's not just placed wrong, but they're big. And I mean, there's so many things that can be placed wrong angle, but, but the placement sometimes if they still have a lot of hair and they're young, it might seem to look good to them, even though I know that in a few years it's going to look terrible. And to me, what looks good in movies and what looks, seems to look good in real life, in, um, in, in, on the screen when like someone looks like they have, like I look up my hairlines like this, you know, they think that, but my hairline goes way back. And so people think that looks good until, it, until the hair is here. Anyway, they think it looks good. Patients ask for that. Doctors don't care. And it's gotten worse. It's worse than it's ever I agree. been. And, and because arguably there are more surgeries now performed in Turkey than the rest of the world and hardly any, any being done by the good surgeons that are in Turkey, it's flooding the world with this, this false perception of what, Hairlines. I mean, I'm battling it in my office every single week. And what's weird is that patients think it's good. I mean, 
and, and they're asking for it, and they they're bra- they're. I mean, you must see that. You see, like you said, Reddit. They're bragging. They're coming out. Look at this. And and I know you're cringing, and I'm cringing because we know. Yeah, Fifteen years, it's going to be somebody is going to have somebody's going to have a lot of repair work to do, and you know it's so much more difficult to repair a bad bad work than to do good work. Uh, and the starting point. There are some some ethnic and racial differences in hairline designs, which change some of what we do. Can you discuss briefly some of those? Yeah, I mean, and I get asked this all the time when I go to Asia. You know, all the Asians want the hairline a little rounder. They have broader hairlines, so they want it rounder. And African Americans or blacks, you know, they there, there is this ethnic thing, and and it is true when when they're younger, there is a tendency for the hairline to be broader in this field. In so there's a tendency sometimes for people to do that and they ask for that, but I don't let that change my design that much because it's, you also see all these same ethnic groups when they lose their hair, they do get recession. And when they're, I mean, so, so, so I still bring them back to this. I may, you know, if they have enough, I may feel more comfortable being more aggressive. And I have a tricks to do that by rather than bringing the hairline down this way, I might bring this a little more forward. So there are tricks to, get that look without wasting a lot of hair. But I don't, it doesn't get rid of the basic rules. It does. I don't, when I see people saying you should just make it broader and do that, I I don't do it. And my ethnic people are happy. And then maybe I'll do it later on. Maybe after the first one, when I think it's good and I see they have enough hair, I might creep it down. But, but yes, there's ethnic changes. There's definitely ethnic changes when they're younger that are natural. Doesn't mean you can do it. Our viewers are both physicians and patients. What are some of the important things for a prospective patient to know about hairline design and maybe things they should ask their surgeon when seeking a surgeon to do their work? Well, um, first of all, they should. I think it's very important to have a surgeon that has experience uh, ex- because um, – you know, it, just because someone's a plastic surgeon or or, or they have uh, diplomas behind the name doesn't mean anything. They really have to uh, have someone that knows about the issues of hairline design and about the issues of hair transplantation in general. Uh, hairline design and hair transplantation in general is a, is a deceptively simple field. It seems like it's easy, but it's not. I mean, you asked me this earlier, why is hairlines hard, even though it seems like a good, because I didn't really answer it quite, but you know, in addition to the, to the, uh, you know, where to put it, you know, you have to angle, if it's the wrong angle, it'd be wrong. If it's the wrong direction, it can look bad. If it's, um, if the density's bad, if the growth is bad, you know, if you put, if you take a perfect hairline and it's the wrong place, it's bad. And if you make a perfect hairline and it's the right place, but the patient, wanted it to be someplace else, they're going to be unhappy, even though you think it's great. So, I mean, it's so complicated. So you need a patient that will talk to the patient, listen to the patient. I mean, patients listen to the doctors if they tell you, if they're worried about things. You really have to pay attention and get maybe multiple. I would say it's good for a patient to get multiple opinions. And if if they have a website with photographs, one of the things, don't just like a quick look at the at the photograph. Look at that hairline. The hairline will tell you a lot about about the surgeon. Very very important. I mean, even after thirty years, I never take the hairline for granted. It's I spend so much time on it every single day because that's that's the signature of our work. 
Yeah, yeah. So. Well, Ron, I want to thank you for participating in the program today. We could talk about this for hours, but we, we have to stop. I think we covered, though, a very, very important topic and touched on others that we, we probably can revisit at some point. Ron, yeah. how can our viewers get in contact with you to explore surgical options at your office? All they have to do is uh, either email info at shapiromedical.com or um, call the call the office. It's an easy number, 952-926-0000. I was very lucky. Or if wow. you call, yeah, I know. Or if you call Bob at midnight, he really likes to take my phone calls for me. <laughs> <laughs> All that information will be on your screen except for my home number. Uh, I hope our viewers learned something new. Please help our program by selecting like and subscribe. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Hair Transplant Roadshow. Thanks again, Ron. Okay, thanks, Bob.